0: Chapter eighteen of No Quarter. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by John Brandon. No Quarter by Thomas Maine Reed. Chapter eighteen. Resist. In his defiant refusal, the master of Hollymead, as already said had received encouragement by a word spoken from the withdrawing-room it was after the ladies had passed out of it sir richard who had followed them to the door simply saying resist it was said in a significant tone though and loud enough to be heard by him who stood in the porch for the knight had now made up his mind to some sort of action as yet known only to himself and but returned to the window to get further informed of the chances in favor of it. Judging by the sparkle of his eyes, they seemed satisfactory, each moment becoming more so. He had already taken stock of the soldier troop, counted its files less than twenty, saw that half of them were but Johnny Raw's in uniform, while the crowd beyond them Numbered nigh two hundred Not all men, but such women, as were among them, had the look of being able to do man's work, even in the way of fighting. Nor were they all unarmed, though no warlike weapons were conspicuously displayed. Here and there could be seen hands holding hedge forks or grasping hatchets, bill hooks, and hay knives others carrying long-shafted hammers and mattocks tools of the mining industry peculiar to the forest all implements denoting peace but readily convertible into weapons which could be dealt deadly blows sir richard had taken all this in as the soldiers came to a halt at the haw-haw gate and now that they were inside it looking over their heads from the high window he saw something else, for which he had been anxiously watching—another crowd on its way up the avenue, smaller than that already arrived, but more compact, and apparently under discipline. All men, these, with one at their head, taller by inches than any of those behind him, easily recognizable as Rob Wild. The deer-stealer had been true to his promise— and done his work well. For not only was the Rardine contingent a large one, but carried real war weapons. Here and there a mattock and snap hands, with pikes and halberts held high above their heads, a bristling array of them. It was just then, on catching sight of these, that Ambrose Powell retreated from the porch and in, dashing to his door for Sir Richard's doings in those days past were all known to him, and why he had gone out of his way and lingered behind the hawking party at Rardine. At the same moment the knight made a hasty movement away from the window, as he did so, saying, Now, Master Trevor, time's come for action. I'm not going to let our good host be plundered without an effort to prevent it of course you can do as you like remain neutral if it so please you but it don't so please me promptly responded the ex-gentleman usher if there's to be fighting i draw swords too on which side oh sir richard why do you ask that after what i've just seen and heard you might know Never was I aware that the king sanctioned such doings as these, nor will I be the one to abet them. Besides, you seem to forget my debt to yourself, my life, and I've been longing for an opportunity to pay it. My sword is at your service, as my heart, ever since you conquered both. Eustace Trevor, exclaimed the knight with more than ordinary warmth, I now know that you are not only my friend, but the friend of our cause, which is that of country and humanity. Your generous offer of alliance delights me, and I am grateful for it. But all the more reluctant you should compromise yourself with your father, your people. Reflect, before drawing your sword, among those we are to fight with if it come to that is your own kinsman your cousin and you may have to cross blades with him be it so i have reflected and well before espousing your cause Tis now more to me than cousin a matter of conscience Reginald's on the wrong side i the right one and if we must cross swords Let him take the consequences, as will I. Not often in man's face might be seen such expression as came over that of Sir Richard Walwyn by listening to these determined words. The handsome youth he had made chance acquaintance with on the road, liking him at first sight, continuing to like him, notwithstanding their adverse political faith, reluctant to quarrel with him, refusing it till there was no alternative with honor. This youth, now no more enemy either to him or his cause, but friend of both, professed and sure of proving true. At thought of all this, the eyes of the soldier knight sparkled with the ecstatic joy, which they alone can feel who fight for country, not king. Enough, he said, grasping the youth's hand and warmly pressing it glad am i to think you will be with us swords such as yours with an accession to any cause and ere long even now there may be fine opportunity for you to prove it baptize your new faith in the blood of freedom's foes come with me their dialogue had occupied but a brief interval of time and as the night brought it to an end he strode hastily Out into the hall, spurs still on and clanking, there to encounter their host, also hurrying about and shouting to his domestics to shutter the windows. The door he had already made secure in the hallway. The three came together, but only for a few moments to remain so. The occasion called for quick, instant action, allowing scant time for speech. Nor was there much said. Sir Richard hurriedly saying to their host, "'Tell the ladies not to be alarmed. "'Say that Mr. Trevor and I have gone out to reason "'with those rude visitors of yours, "'and see what terms we can make with them. "'If they won't listen to—' "'Whatever the alternative meant, he left it unspoken. "'For chancing to turn his eyes up the stairway, "'he there saw that he was being listened to already— On its lowest landing were the sisters, who had overheard all. They were coming down, and now came on, Sabrina gliding forward to the knight and laying her hand on his shoulder. He had stepped a little apart to receive her, with anticipation of something she might have to say confidential, and with her he, too, wanted a word of that kind. "'Oh, Richard!' she tremblingly exclaimed. "'What are you going to do? "'Nothing rash, I hope.' "'Certainly not, dearest. "'Have you ever known me to act rashly?' "'No. "'But now—well, now. "'I'm not likely to change my ways. "'In what I intend, there may be no danger after all. "'A little risk, true." But for a big stake no less than three thousand pounds these royal miscreants demand from your father and we'll have it if we don't do something but we will and they won't get it not this day unless i'm mistaken about the men who are gathering outside ah we'll match them never fear he then spoke some words in a whisper not to be overheard by the servants still rushing to and fro which seemed further to reassure her now love let me go he said in conclusion there isn't a second to spare mr trevor and i must out she neither questioned nor tried to detain him longer whatever he meant doing she could confide in him if to fight believed him capable of conquering the whole world and wisely ruling it after FOR THE WOMAN WHO LOVES THERE IS NO FANCY TOO WILD, NO feat SEEMING IMPOSSIBLE TO HIM WHO HAS HER HEART. MORE CONSTRAINED WAS THE SPEECH-PASSING NEEDED HAND, FOR THERE WERE THREE TAKING PART IN IT, YET NOT LESS ANXIOUS THAN HER SISTER SEEMED VEGA, IF ANYTHING, IN GREATER DISTRESS ABOUT THE DANGER APPREHENDED. Possibly, but for her father being beside her, she would have addressed Eustace Trevor in a strain similar to that of Sabrina appealing to Sir Richard. As it was, her looks were eloquent of fear for him, mingled with a confidence in his power to hold his own, whatever was to happen. The scene was short, of not more than a minute's duration, and ended by the two gentlemen guests of Hollymaid House making all haste out of it. Not by the front door, but one at back, which opened into the stable yard. Soon as on its stoop, Sir Richard called out, Horses, Hubert, quick! And quick they came. In an instant after, Hubert was seen leading two out of their stalls, another pair being led behind by the servant of Eustace Trevor saddled and bridled all, for word had been sent out before, and everything was ready, even to the varlet, having been warned by the veteran and gained over to the good cause, now his masters. In twenty seconds' time all four were in the saddle, men as masters setting themselves firm in the syrups, taking tight hold of the reins, With a look to their swords to see there was no entanglement against unsheathing them. Then, at the word from Sir Richard, the yard gate, hitherto shut, was thrown open, and out they all burst, spurring to a brisk canter as they rode round for the front of the house. End of chapter 18. Recording by John Brandon.